calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. January 2nd, 2024. I figure keeping this journal will make sure I don't forget anything when the documentarians come knocking. I'll write down every detail about how Gary, Sean, and I found the infamous Levines. We've just finished setting up camp for our first night in the barrier forest. Time to see if the legends are true. I guess. I don't believe in any of that hocus pocus, but I'm kind of excited anyway. I figure we'll at least get some animals creeping around camp. Maybe whatever killed Caden and Justina will come check us out. Is it wrong of me to assume they're dead? I don't think so. Anyway, here comes Gary with the Shotskis. The more we drink, the lighter our packs will be tomorrow, right? Good night. Oh, on the off chance that none of us make it out of this forest alive, my name is Ernest Artman Jr., but you can just call me Jr. Gary Peer, Sean Redding, and Ernest Artman Jr. This was the ragtag group of amateur explorers that set out on January 2nd, 2024 to search for two missing hikers, Caden and Justina Levine. The Levine's story had gone national after the young couple disappeared in the barrier forest, a place long rumored to be haunted, or infested with cryptids, depending on who you asked. Justina's last Instagram post had been a photo of her and Caden smiling in front of their camp. This was the only evidence that they even made it to the forest. Cell service out that far was spotty at best, and thus useless for locating them. The couple's vehicle, equipment, and bodies had yet to be discovered. Junior Artman was far from alone in his belief that they were on a recovery mission, not rescue. Most of the nation assumed the beautiful couple was dead. 
Implications of a graphic demise were what drove the story into the national headlines, got it featured on NBC and ABC, and made it flood TikTok. The idea of such a perfect pair being torn apart by wild creatures titillated audiences across all demographics. But everyone knew, deep down, if animals had been responsible for the couple's demise, there would be some trace, some evidence. At the very least, their car should have been easily discoverable. Yet, it eluded the authorities and search teams. This led to other theories, which excited the true crime crowd, as well as paranormal enthusiasts. Gary, Sean, and Junior still believed the animal theory. They figured the Levines had probably stashed their car somewhere to keep it from getting broken into while they were gone, rather than just leaving it abandoned on the side of the road or in some parking lot. The men were determined to find fame, and maybe a little fortune, by completing the story before its spotlight waned. After their first night in the barrier forest, the men began to speculate, though. So far, there hadn't been any trace of wildlife, predator or prey. Before they went to bed that night, Sean raised the possibility that the true crime crowd could be right. The others drunkenly dismissed him. The men had planned to spend five days total in the barrier forest and had shared this plan with family and friends. Though they would not have admitted it to each other, they were all afraid of their headshots ending up next to the Levines on the news. This fear would, unfortunately, manifest as on days six, seven, and eight, three families and a handful of friends began to pressure authorities to search for their loved ones. January 4th, 2024. I didn't think the guys could get pissier than they were this morning, but they've sure proved me wrong. We barely talked at the fire tonight. Guess we used up all the liquor too soon. Here's a list of what's going wrong. Nobody's sleeping well. Gary won't admit his, but I think we're all having nightmares. We lost cell service early this afternoon, and it hasn't come back. We're out of booze. We haven't found one damn sign of the damn Levines. Everybody's backs hurt. We probably packed too much food. We did not pack enough water. We sort of fixed the water issue. We're camped by a lake tonight, and before dark, I filled up our containers with water. Don't worry, we sifted it through cheesecloth and boiled it. Still tastes a little nasty, though. It's got sort of a mushroomy flavor. I don't know, it tastes brown. On the bright side, we still have a satellite phone. Sean brought it, but I don't know if he knows how it works. Hope we don't have to find out. Oh, and I think we saw a mountain lion this morning. Almost forgot. Could be what got the Levines, I don't know. Crap, now I remember we were going to talk about setting up a watch rotation tonight. Oh well. I'll stay up as long as I can and keep the fire going. Junior, out. The fourth morning of their expedition, the men nearly came to blows. Sean had carefully plotted a route which would take them around the lake over the first three days, then circle them back over the last two. Five days was how long they had told their families and friends they would be gone and how long they had packed for. Already they had learned they had underestimated how much water they would need, and now... Without their phones, all they had to rely on was Sean's map and compass. And yet, Junior had the audacity to suggest exploring for one more day. And Gary 
had quickly taken his side. Junior and Gary insisted they could last the extra day if they slightly reduced their daily rations and refilled at the lake one more time. Sean told them they were insane. He reminded them of the great risk they were already taking just being out in the untamed barrier forest even with a meticulous plan. To diverge from that plan would be, in Sean's opinion, suicide. In the end, the majority remained in favor of pressing further. Junior explained that he'd had a vivid nightmare about the mountain lion they had spotted near the crest of a hill, dragging two whole human skeletons into a cave. Sean admitted he had dreamt something similar, only the lion was in a photograph being broadcast on TV. The text beside it read, Authorities on the lookout for violent assailant wanted for double homicide. He said what really stood out to him was how the lion in his dream had an oddly human face. He said it kind of looked like Justina Levine. Gary insisted their dreams were caused by Junior suggesting the mountain lion could be the Levine's killer when they had seen it. In his first admission of a nightmare, Gary said that he, too, had dreamt of the mountain lion slaughtering the couple up on the hill, but that he did not usually dream at all, so it must have been the result of Junior's suggestion. By that evening, the men were all hopelessly discouraged. Even Junior admitted he wished they had started back that morning. Their circumstances were made more disheartening by the minimized portions they ate around the fire that night. The idea of three more days of hiking, one of which was almost guaranteed not to turn up any leads, made them all feel like lying down and giving up. Conversation arose again about the mountain lion, and almost on cue, a pack of wolves began to howl in the distance. This deep in the forest, the men were keenly aware that a nocturnal predator might come upon their camp during the night. None of them trusted themselves to hold a watch, though. They were all too worn out to stay awake much longer, even with each other's bitter company. Alone, each man knew he would not last. They decided to make a scarecrow out of branches and some of the clothes they had dirtied on previous days. They collected materials from nearby, never straying too far from their guardian fire. While Sean and Junior bound branches into arms and legs, securing them to a hollowed-out log Sean had found, Gary wrapped wet, rotting leaves from the forest floor with cheesecloth to form a head. He even gave it his own floppy boonie hat to make it look real. They assembled the scarecrow on the ground. When they erected him, he stood almost seven feet tall. Junior uncreatively dubbed him Stickman. Gary tossed a rope over an overhanging branch and tied it around Stickman's torso so he would stand on his own. And thus, their sentry was born. They agreed to let the fire burn low while they slept, and if any of them woke during the night, which they were prone to do, they would stoke the flames before going back to sleep. The idea was that any encroaching animals would see Stickman glowing in the orange light of the fire and think better of approaching the camp. Satisfied with this plan, the three men went to sleep. For one of them, it would be the last time. January 5th, 2024. Too tired to write much tonight. It was a mistake to keep going. We all wish we were closer to home right now. We built a big stick man, 
That's what we call him. He's going to keep all the animals away from us tonight. The fire is casting Stickman's shadow on the side of my tent right now. It's pretty creepy. He really looks like an actual person. When the flames flicker, it looks like he's moving. If I don't shut my eyes soon, I think I'm going to get too spooked to sleep. Nighty night. Gary was awoken at dawn on January 6th by Junior's agonized scream. Eyes still blurry, he fumbled with his tent zipper while also feeling for his knife. Even before Gary could open his tent flap, Junior's scream devolved into sobbing. Upon opening the flap, Gary nearly fainted. His brain could not compute the sight fed to it by his eyes and nearly shorted out. It was Sean. Sean was dangling a foot off the ground, suspended from the neck with the rope they had used to stand up Stickman. Stickman was nowhere in sight. As Junior and Gary struggled to accept that their friend was gone, they accused each other of everything from sleeping too deeply to pushing Sean too far. Junior even accused Gary of aiding Sean with suicide, because realistically, it would have been impossible for Sean to have done it himself. There was nothing near him on which he could have stood to tie the rope around his neck. The only item near his body was the satellite phone, irreparably smashed. Neither Junior nor Gary could comprehend any method which would have allowed Sean to commit the act on his own. Eventually, Gary and Junior decided to trust one another. This was partially due to the fact that their navigator was dead, and they would have no choice but to rely on each other to get home. It was also partially due to an intrusive feeling that they were contending with something much more frightening than mountain lions or wolves. Unbeknownst to one another, they had each spent the night in restless terror, plagued by nightmares they now could not recall. The previous nightmares had been easy to remember, simple narratives of terror and tragedy. The latest had been horrendous montages of fur, gore, and blackened trees. Their darkening had not appeared to be caused by flame, but rather disease or infestation, or a curse. January 6, 2024 I'm terrified. I just had to leave one of my friends hanging from a tree in the middle of nowhere, and I know he didn't put himself there. Someone was able to drag him out of his tent without waking Gary or I and hang him there. It would have to be more than one person, actually. I just wondered, could it be the Levines? Like, what if something took over? Never mind, that's crazy. But know what else is crazy? Stickman found us. We followed our trail from yesterday back to our last campsite. When we got there... Our stick man was standing in the middle of it. He wasn't suspended like we had him. I don't really know how he was standing upright. I wanted to run, maybe for a long time, maybe through the night if it meant we would get home. But Gary said stick man would make easy firewood. I guess he was right. After we broke stick man down, he burned nicely. Even our clothes and Gary's hat we didn't want any of it anymore. The fire smelled toxic even after the clothes were burned up. It stunk like we were burning rubber and crap instead of wood and leaves. 
Only blessing was that smell killed my appetite, so I'll get to have breakfast tomorrow. If I make it to tomorrow. Junior and Gary spent the night in unconscious turmoil over the destruction of Stickman. Gary's most vivid dream was of being surrounded by a ring of naked stickmen leaning in and watching him burn alive. Junior's premier nightmare was similar, but with perhaps a more disturbing twist. In his dream, he was Sean, and Gary was sitting across from him watching Stickman burn. Only then Junior was himself, and it was Sean sitting across from him, and Gary on the fire. And then Sean was Stickman. In the morning, both men were relieved to see one another alive, but also keenly suspicious of each other. Dense fog surrounded them, limiting their visibility to only a few trees ahead. Junior and Gary tried to wait out the fog, but as the sun rose, its reflections only made visibility worse. After hiking a mile, Junior asked a burning question. Did you see Sean and yours? Gary asked what he meant, but he already knew, and he thought he had seen Sean in one of the faces of the stick men torching him. He admitted this to Junior, and Junior shared his own version of the dream. They spent the next hour discussing what their nightmares, all of them, might mean. They tried to recall the dreams Sean had shared with them and periodically went silent as thoughts of Sean drowned the others. It was during one of these meditative moments that Gary abruptly grabbed Junior's jacket to stop him. Stickman, the very same they had burned the previous evening, was waiting for them up ahead. Absent clothes, it had been perfectly reconstructed. Instead of Gary's hat, an enormous raven was perched atop its head, beak pointed at the ground, eyes trained on the hikers. In a conference of whispers, Gary and Junior decided someone was stalking them and that they needed to get out of the forest ASAP. They did not think it would be safe to stop and sleep again, if they continued following Sean's map around the other side of the lake, their stalker would likely not be able to predict their movements since they had not previously passed through that area. Without turning their back to Stickman and the Raven, which watched them the whole time, the men circumvented the area and only pressed forward once Stickman was out of sight. Their soreness and exhaustion was wholly countered by the new fear and anxiety which had found them. Their bodies fueled them with adrenaline, and after it wore off, they pressed on out of sheer will. By the time the sun sat directly above them, they had nearly reached Sean's first intended camp for the journey back. Sean had factored in time for them to search for clues about the Levine's fate. He had assumed they would be moving slowly, examining potential evidence on the way. Realizing this, Junior and Gary decided to stop only for brief refreshment, then continue their pace toward home. They assumed they would naturally slow down later in the day, so they calculated they would have to hike for a few hours after sunset. But this seemed drastically preferable to camping another night in Stickman's forest. They both felt that if they went to sleep in that forest again, they very likely would never wake up. Around a bend, Stickman found them again. 
He had finally been absent from the hikers' minds when they approached the rocky outcrop, but as they walked around it, he appeared again in the distance. Junior and Gary crouched behind the rocks and reveled in the unsettling impossibility of it all. That someone might have predicted their path along the lake was somewhat dismissible, but that anyone could have gotten far enough ahead while dragging a giant scarecrow to also stand said scarecrow up and then disappear seemed ludicrous. And like before, Stickman was not suspended. No tree nor bush propped him up either. He stood alone, watching and waiting. The men decided to hike the other way around the outcrop and take a small detour to avoid Stickman. Gary insisted they could stay close enough to Sean's original path not to get lost as long as they paid attention to the compass. He was probably right, but a great whoosh above their heads signaled the end of their autonomy. Junior looked up as the raven's broad wingspan blocked the sun. The sunlight briefly seemed to set the edges of the bird's wings on fire as it passed over them. Their eyes tracked the raven to Stickman, where it banked a turn, swooped upward, and came down once more on the scarecrow's naked head. Instantly, the bird began to change. It bowed its head, and its feathers writhed as if festering with a plague of insects. The distinct parts of the raven, its head, wings, breast, all morphed into one black shape. Its feathers elongated, their edges hanging over Stickman's face like oily hair. Under the transforming bird's weight, Stickman's head sagged. The black mass spilled forward, and now it was long, stringy hair. The raven was gone. Gary gave Junior a shove and told him to run. Junior picked a direction without consulting the compass and sprinted. Gary followed on his heels. After ten minutes at full speed, Gary had to stop to catch his breath. Junior hurried back to him. Where are we? Gary asked. I lost track. I don't know. Junior predictably answered. Gary swore. Which direction do you think we've been running? He asked. Junior looked up through the trees, trying to determine exactly where the sun was sitting and remember where it had been when the raven flew over them. He answered, West, I think. West, Gary thought for a moment. Okay, that's good. That means we ran toward the lake. We can follow the shore to make sure we keep going the right way. Who knows, maybe somebody will come along with a boat that can pick us up and get us back before dark. So, down to the lake, they hiked. They did follow the shore for a few miles, but unfortunately, an evening fog, even thicker than that morning's, settled in as the sun set. It was now dark, and their flashlights were useless. Turning them on only blinded them more in the fog. They pressed on anyway, but at an excruciating pace. When Junior stumbled on a mossy rock, twisting his ankle, they had to stop. Junior's injury was only an inconvenience. He could still stand and walk gingerly, but to continue would risk further and possibly greater injury. They hoped they had covered enough ground to distance themselves from... from Stickman. January 7th, 2024 
We weren't going to stop tonight, but some really thick fog settled in, and I hurt my ankle, so we had to. We only pitched one tent. Gary's laying next to me, pretending to be asleep. It's storming now. Thunder came up from the south, and now rain is pattering on the tent. I just hope it doesn't get too windy. Maybe we shouldn't have camped so close to the lake. I don't know. It's not like we could have made it far into the woods again. I don't think we would have wanted to anyway. Whatever's following us, I haven't told Gary this, but I really don't think it's anything human. Not after what we saw today. Stickman kept showing up, and first there was this raven, but then it turned into something else. It felt like Stickman was alive somehow. I mean, we burned him last night, but he's been appearing everywhere we go. How do you explain that? I can't. The good news is we're almost home. If this storm passes through tonight, we should only have to hike for a few hours in the morning. I might have a limp, but I'll hop home on one foot if I have to. I just gotta get out of these woods. I'm starting to worry we're going crazy out here. I mean, how crazy is it that I've barely written about Sean? Sean, one of my best friends, is dead. And besides a couple of conversations with Gary, I've barely even thought about that. I'm sure it's going to hit me like a semi as soon as we're safe, but right now it's like, he's dead but we don't have to be. One more night. Just gotta make it through one more night. Hang on. Gary just got up without saying anything and left the tent. I'm going to find out what he's doing. The rain's really coming down now. On January 12th, a lone fisherman on the lake spotted a yellow tent near the edge of the barrier forest. He knew three men were missing out there, plus that couple that had been all over the news, but he was too afraid to investigate on his own. When the authorities arrived, they found Gary and Junior's last campsite abandoned. Their battered tent still contained all of their equipment and Junior's chilling journal. The only remaining inhabitant of the site was a seven-foot-tall scarecrow made of sticks with a head full of rotting leaves wrapped in cheesecloth. To this day, Justina and Caden Levine, Gary Peer, and Ernest Artman Jr. are listed as missing persons. Sean Redding's fate is known only due to Jr.'s writing. His body has never been found. you made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. The next best way is to buy merch from the warningwoods.myshopify.com. The link is also in the description below. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at the Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.